Good morning. Happy Monday to you. This is Back from the Brink. I am Todd Brinker. Uh, Aaron will be joining us momentarily. This is our after show from our KCAA radio show on uh, 1050 AM, 106.5 and 102.3 FM in the Inland Empire. That is Southern California's greatest talk radio. Um, So we're following up on what we were talking about as we went away. And what we're talking about was the fact that they've discovered that octopuses... See, I thought it was octopi, but they're calling it octopuses in this story. I wonder which one's right. Just because they've published it in the Smithsonian doesn't mean they know their English. Or maybe I don't know my English. That wouldn't be a surprise at all. Uh, but anyway, they've discovered that octopuses uh, sleep uh, or, or have REM sleep. They kind of they think they dream. Yeah. So they, they go through these cycles of uh, 30 or 40 minutes of quiet sleep where they basically go to kind of a pale color and their bodies are very still. And then they will have like 40 seconds of like their, their, uh, because they can change color, their, their bodies start changing color rapidly and their muscles start twitching and their eyes are like twitching and their eyes like, uh, focus and defocus. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, kind of trippy that they do that. And that only lasts for like 40 seconds or so. And then, Back to 30 or 40 minutes of, of quiet sleep where they're resting and, and doing their thing. So they think that that's them, um, you know, when our bodies go into REM sleep, it's a combination of uh, reinforcing memories throughout the day. And they have shown, by the way, that octopus octopuses can't do have memory. They can remember things from time to time and they can have long term memory. Um, but then also um, our brains are uh, during the REM sleep pushing out. Uh, waste materials so that they're basically like cleaning house getting ready for the next day and so it's a way to store long-term memories and remove waste from the brain and uh it's interesting that uh you know that animals that in the evolutionary chain are a long way from us <laughs> do kind of the same things you know that that basic house cleaning is sort of the same and uh you know because they can't tell us about it we kind of think that they're dreaming, but they can't tell us. So we don't know for sure that they're dreaming, uh, you know, or if they, you know, wake up and remember their dreams. Some of us do. Some of us don't. Uh, it's funny because you talk to some family members or friends and it's like they remember their dreams vividly and others don't. I think it also has to do with like what state you're in when you wake up and how you wake up. Right. I think if you wake up naturally, it's usually not during REM sleep. And so you're less likely to to remember those dreams if you wake up to an alarm or because of a, a noise or whatever or because you have to go to the bathroom or something you might be in REM sleep and or just out of REM sleep and as a result remember things more clearly about what went on I had a weird dream last night that I was driving I have an old old car at old 83 um, but I have like you know an older car and it uh, and it's not my main car it's just sort of a car that I drive on occasion I dreamt that I was driving my older sporty car. It's a Porsche. And, uh, and I I had to go like through a freeway underpass that had construction. And so we had to, you know, the road was broken up. So we were driving on gravel and it got rough to the point where like this thing couldn't have made it over, but I was driving it over it anyway, somehow in the dream. 
and then uh, there was mud splashed on the windshield, and I couldn't see where I was going, and I kind of rolled the window down as I saw the truck that I was following went off to the right, and I couldn't go to the right, so I went to the left, and suddenly I was plummeting down this large, intense slope and landed in water at the bottom, and then I woke up. So, And I think that I was thinking about the car earlier in the day because I need to put it on the little battery tender because it's been sitting for a while. And so the car was on my mind and very possibly then became uh, the thing that I had to think about, you know, that I needed to, uh, uh, you know, it was on my mind. It had been in, in process, and so that got mixed into it. And I don't know about the slippery slope that I went down and into the water. That seems fairly obvious about a slippery slope. I'm not one who does puts a lot of uh, 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 stock in in dreams having some sort of meaning other than you can tie them into things you were thinking about during the day and just your body processing that stuff and it's bits and pieces. Now, I wasn't thinking about rain or anything like that, you know, but I, you know, is a slippery slope indicative of something? I don't, that's the part I don't necessarily buy into or don't really care about. I think it just, you know, it had, we we had some rain recently and, uh, and that, so that got mixed into the mix and, um, you know, I, I don't know. It was, uh, you know, going into a tunnel and then sliding down. I don't know. Who knows? That could be uh, just about anything. <laughs> so something we're going to start doing, uh, we're going to try to do it tomorrow. We forgot to do it today. Is as we leave the radio show, we're going to leave you with a, uh, a trivia question. And then we'll give you the answer when you come back to the podcast. So um, uh, I'm going to give you the trivia question and the answer but I'm going to give you the trivia question now. You can always look it up, but that's no fun. See if you can remember. So um, in the movie Amadeus, who won the Oscar for Best Actor? The Best Actor Oscar from Amadeus. Now, if you recall, Amadeus was the story of Mozart, and it was sort of told through the eyes of Salieri, who was his his nemesis at the time and and in his own right was considered a in, in his own time was considered an exceptional composer um uh quite clearly history has said told a slightly different story saying that that mozart was the genius and salieri was you know a solid composer but nothing particularly special uh am, uh, or, or memorable about his compositions and uh and the premise was that, that that Salieri knew this at the time. He 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 was hugely envious of Mozart, who was incredibly talented, seemed to have no regard for his talent, and lived his life like a like a spoiled brat. And uh, you know, I I I recall when the movie came out, I did a little bit of reading and. Um, and that apparently that was sort of true, but there was also some fictionalizations there. Um, but uh, apparently Mozart was a very difficult person, though. He, he he was, in fact, quite difficult to deal with. The thing I remember about it is how uh, Tom Hulse, who played uh, uh, Mozart, uh, did this weird cackling laugh. Uh, and F. Murray Abrams, who played Salieri, was uh, uh, just angry all the time. Here's Aaron. Hello. Are you there? Can you hear me now? Hello. Ah, there you are. Yes, so we can hear you now. So, um, I was just saying that we were going to we were going to uh, start giving a trivia question as we leave the radio show, and then give the answer 
uh, when we get here. But for today, I gave the trivia question, and I figured we would give the answer near the end of the show. So the trivia question is, in the movie Mozart, if you know the answer, you can go ahead and say it now. If in the movie uh, from the movie Mozart, who won the Best Actor Academy Award? So this was this was the movie Amadeus. I'm sorry, the movie Amadeus. Yes, I I okay. not reading it I this time, so I said, movie. yeah, yeah, no, it was the movie Amadeus. Do you remember who who you do know? Well, go ahead and tell him then. Well, I think I know. Maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Uh-huh. Go for Wouldn't it. Wouldn't it be Tom Holsey? Tom Holse was who who played Amadeus did not win the Academy Award. But it was the guy who played Salieri who won. Salieri, who was played by F. Murray Abram. Oh, that's who was right. consumed yeah, with jealousy throughout the whole movie. Yeah. Absolutely consumed. The thing I remember more than anything else was how Tom Holse's um character had that he did that weird cackling laugh. Throughout oh, the, the whole, giggle. you know, yeah, yeah. He he played yeah. Mozart as 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 this kind of like ditzy genius that was just annoying as all get out for to Salieri. Pretty much annoying to everybody. He was very uh, self absorbed and um, uh, and self centered through the whole thing, and played him as a adult child. You know, very childlike, um, which. I remember at the time, and I'm, I'm, I haven't looked it up recently, so I couldn't. So, but at the time, I seem to remember that that was thought to be fairly accurate in in some ways. But they also took some some leave to tell a story. So, you know, there was some some movie fake there too. But uh, but contemporary accounts described uh, Mozart as being quite horrible to be around most of the time. So. insufferable yes yes but nonetheless as as was portrayed in the movie Salieri knew that Mozart was the genius that his that he was the one that was going to be remembered because he was doing truly different innovative things which has proven to be the truth and of course that may have been that may have been the movie magic right that at the time he probably didn't realize necessarily that that was the thing that would be memorable you don't know you never know you know you never know uh, it's amazing how many to me how many like musicians you know like professional musicians when they when they you know publish a song or something don't realize which ones are going to be the hits you know oh we wanted to lead with this on the on the on the album or this was going to be our first single you know and then and then somebody else the the a and r guy is usually the one you know at the at the record company that says no no you don't get it this is the one this is your hit right here you know and it's it's a different skill between writing them and i suppose when you write them too you're very close to them they're all sort of your baby right and so you like the songs and, and you probably have an affinity towards the one that you like to play more than the one that necessarily is ha, has the makings of being a hit so. yes but we all know that it doesn't have to be good to be a hit it just has to have a hook right yeah and that's where There's the, a lot the of- Crap songs out there that are hit. Yeah, yeah. The record marketing guys can go, nope, that's the hit right there, and you're going, but that's such a stupid song. That was filler. Here's the here's the really great song. This is my opus right here. And you go, yep, you opus away, but we're gonna put this one out. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's difficult to be 
it's it's a different skill and and it requires i think a level of sort of self-awareness that's that that you know is separate from being the the person who writes the songs or performs the songs sometimes yeah of course these days you say the person who wrote write the songs have you ever seen the list of people who write songs these days i mean i don't think there's a song yes. written that doesn't have like you know seven to ten people on it as the creators of these songs it's like well, you tell somebody to say are, two instead of three and then now you're part yeah. of the songwriting team so there are singer songwriters who wrote write their own music and then there's there, this, there then there's this crap that that cardi b and beyonce and all those people put out and they have like yeah. 15 credits on their song right and a lot of those pop songs it's because uh, you know, the engineer and the producer and everybody else throws their name on the song, too, because they had some input on it, and and there's money involved. If your name is one of the writers, then you get money for that. So um, yes. that's why they do it. It's In fact, there have long been artists who will say, I will record your song, but you have to give me, you know, you have to share writing credit on the song, and that way then when I record it, I can, you know, I can make it a star because I'm or a hit because of my star power, and I get some of that cut by yep. by being a writer, even if they did nothing other than just sing it. Um, so, but that said, even when you sing it, you're obviously putting your your twist on the song. It's you sing it differently. But that you know, I I I feel bad for songwriters because very often you can be a songwriter and then you end up sharing what is essentially your income and your work with a whole bunch of people just because they're saying, well, you have to or we won't record your song. And that's, you know, that's your living. So you have to do it, uh, you know, at least until you get a big enough name on your own. But how many people can name the songwriters, right? You know, a, a famous songwriter. I mean, if you live in Nashville, you probably can. But other than that, uh, you know. Carol I guess King. Indi- yeah. Well, I, well I, yeah, I'm saying current days. Yeah, obviously. I know. I'm I mean, just playing you know, with you. But you're right, Carol King. Yeah, exactly. Carol King, uh, James Taylor. Uh, you know, uh, there was that whole era of singer songwriters that were sort of doing folksy, folk country type of stuff that would probably be country yeah, but these days. He did her song. He very oh, he often did. recorded her song. Yeah, they're good friends. In fact, they've toured together. He, yeah, he writes a lot of his own songs too, though. Um, yep. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I don't. But but when he wrote when he when he did her songs, she was credited as the songwriter, not him because <laughs> yes. he was doing her song and he admitted that and would even tell people in concert here's a song that Carol wrote you know things like that um, I mean obviously not every time but you know what I mean it's just it, it's a yes. different sensibility different sensibility um, and uh, and I would argue sometimes a a better constructed song as a result of it because the songwriter was allowed to be a songwriter and not not have to focus on sharing all of their work with a crew but anyway you know. that's me i'm old i'm yeah okay boomer um. <laughs> so uh, you know i think of uh, incredible songwriters um i think rod stewart was a great songwriter i don't know if he's mm-hmm. still writing songs um obviously yeah, the last decade he's uh, been swing singing oldies right that's where he was yeah and i like um paul simon obviously is a genius um right. billy joel um Mm-hmm. You know who are some of the the others that are that are that just had incredible music um, mm-hmm. and and songs that told a story. I mean the songs that are not doo wop bebop. They're telling songs that singing songs mm-hmm. that give a, tell a story. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, even in a, you know, in a different genre, you look at a band like Aerosmith. When they started out, they were, um, you know, their early hits were all songs they wrote. And then when they sort of came back, they were there, they were singing other people's songs. So oh. like, you know, or, or, not that they don't, they didn't still write some of their own songs, but some of their hits were written by other people. But early on, you know, Walk This Way and, and those guys, those were songs they wrote. And that was in the 70s. And then there was kind of a lull. And then sort of towards the end of the 80s, they sort of made a comeback after they did their uh, their uh, rap crossover with, um, um, they did Run a remake DMC. of Walk, Walk This Day with Run, Run DMC. Uh, then they had detoxed themselves, which, you know, helps with creativity <laughs> to, to not yeah. be addicted to, to, you know, heroin and such. Um, uh, and then um, uh, they continue to write, but a lot of their hits then were um, songs that they, uh, their manager and they would buy and then sing, or you know, pick and do the right, get the rights to to sing. So I really so, like yeah. Patty Griffin, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you are familiar with Patty Griffin. She sings her own songs, but she also other people yeah. sing her songs too. Um, yeah. Uh, the Dixie Chicks have covered several of her songs, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I I I really a fan. I really like her. Yeah. So. Yeah. She writes she writes some unique stuff. She's one of those people who who I think some people who have covered her songs, the covers have been more popular than sometimes her her original recordings. But a uh, very talented songwriter who happens to sing I, is how I would categorize her, as opposed to a singer who writes songs. Because she, right. she her, her her own interpretations of her songs are sometimes not as poppy as other people's, and that might be just because she doesn't like to work with producers who overproduce things and stuff too. You never know, but but I mean, she doesn't yeah. have the vocal vocal chops that say the Dixie Chicks do, um, right? So. So, um, the right, ever, they're not the Dixie chicks anymore. They're the chicks. Oh yeah. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just another reason for me to go like, really, you know, their political stances as a group sometimes get under my skin a little bit, but, uh, yeah. not that I even yeah, always well, disagree with them. I just don't like the way they go and they don't know their audience very well, clearly because they, they, you know, they were in the country genre, uh, talking to a bunch of, you know, relatively conservative people, and espousing incredibly liberal perspectives doing that. And it's like, really? You know, okay. I would rather yeah. they don't do it verbally, they do it in their music if they want to do it, you know? Like Crosby, yeah. Stills, and Nash, you know? They're, have always, I mean, of course, they're all broken up now and arguing with each other, but that's been their MO for years as they take, and then they come that's back together eventually. That's so. Yeah. That's not politics. <laughs> They'll either come back together or one of them will die from old age because they're that, they're, they're that old now. But, uh, but they're very political and, and they've always been, um, um, fairly liberal in their, in their politics. And other than David Crosby, they don't tend to talk about it very much. They just put it in their music, you know? Um, the song Ohio, um, and which is not really a liberal or a conservative thing. It's about, you know, National Guardsmen t- firing on, on college kids. Yeah, in Kent State. Um, but they rushed that out and got it out within like seven days after the, the event. That song was on the radio. You know, I mean, oh, that's wow. phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Um, you know, the container ship, the Ever Given, is floating again. 
It's not completely done. It's still blocking, but at least they've they've dug out seventy thousand. Oh, wait, here's thirty thousand cubic meters. Okay, seventy thousand cubic uh, feet of is what I had read previously, um, uh, of sand. So they've dug it out at one end, and it's funny. You see these pictures of the these backhoes, which are big, big tractors, sitting next to this ship, and they look like like toys. <laughs> They're so little. It's like that's going to take a jillion hours for that thing to dig that thing out. Um, but nope, they got part of it dug out and they've got it refloated and, um, uh, okay. Now it is fully afloat and it's been pulled free, allowing the traffic to reopen. So that's, it's been updated since last night when I posted this. So this morning, uh, they, uh, they got it floating and, and pushed it at least parallel to the, to the flow of water so that they can, uh, uh, allow traffic to travel back through. Wow. Yeah. Well, and good. you know that it's it's awesome. I mean it's 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 also shows how scary some of these choke points are, you know, like you block up the Suez, you block up the um the um uh canal um, Panama Canal. The Panama Canal and what that does to world trade and how much we're reliant on each other around the world for stuff getting places, you know. Um you know, I mean they they had it blocked for basically a, what a little less than a week. And and we're already concerned about supplies of stuff getting around the world because so much of it is done on these big giant container ships. So, um, yeah. Glad they got it's it unstuck, crazy. though. Glad they got it unstuck. Um, yeah, there there's investigations ongoing. There's concerns about what, you know, what actually ended up causing the issue. And, uh, you know, I mean... Uh, at first they said they lost power. Then they came back and said, well, no, they just didn't have enough power to overcome the wind. There was like 40 mile an hour winds and this thing's, you know, a quarter mile long and, and, uh, and 200 feet high. And so the wind just overpowered it. You know, the whole, it, the broadsides of this thing are just big flat sides. The wind just kind of pushed it over and they couldn't, they couldn't fight it, uh, cause there was too much wind. So, uh, maybe they will, um, uh, start limiting larger ships when there's wind speeds going through there. Um, but I also saw a link saying there might have been human error. Um, so who knows? You know, probably a combination of all three, right? Yeah. But, you know, I I, I, I can't imagine this is the first time with wind, and I can't imagine that I mean, you know, there's yeah. lots of ships that go through that are that big, and so you know, yeah. What was what was wrong? What what happened this time yeah. that, that it ran into the ground? Exactly. What additionally happened? Was it a bad decision on the part of the captain, or or were they slightly out of position, or was the wind coming from a different direction and they weren't ready for that? Or you know, I mean, there's and and you know, they're they're while they were getting it out of the out of the way, getting it unstuck, there were already people, uh, you know, underway trying to figure out what happened and how, you know, was this something that we can avoid in the future or something? Can we learn from this? Because boy, what a problem. <clears throat> yeah. No kidding. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a beautiful day, Todd. Yesterday was nice. In fact, it got hot here yesterday. Uh, it was in the nineties in the, in the afternoon. Seriously. I, Yeah. I actually went to a socially distanced parking lot meeting of the people who run my bowling league. Apparently, the bowling alley is getting ready to open up uh, this this coming weekend, and they're talking about starting up the league again the following weekend. Uh, 
but it's going to be their summer league, which I don't usually participate in. They're just going to have an extended summer, even though they're starting in April. Normally, they wouldn't start until June. Uh, and then uh, and then the regular season will start in September. So I'm kind of thinking what I'm going to do is let them do the summer like I always do without me. And I will see how that goes and then maybe join in September. And if I feel like it, um, I can always go in and, and offer myself as a substitute um, for, uh, uh, you know, any weekend that I wanted to. And that way I can kind of test the waters of bowling again and see how how my arm and my back feel and and whether or not I can do that and uh, where that's at and you know also look at how the place is being run and they said that the rules are you you know like in restaurants if you're sitting down and eating or drinking you can take your mask off but and, and when you're up bowling you can take your mask off but otherwise you should have your mask on while in the facility so well I'm kind of of the opinion that that you know, once it gets going, they're no nobody's going to be policing that. Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, they had opened when when things started to open up last June. They were open for two weeks before they shut back down. And one of the people there at the meeting said, "Yeah, when they did that, about every thirty seconds, there was somebody on the PA and said, put on your masks, put on your masks.' So well, that's annoying. Uh, so they reiterated to everybody who was there, "It's like keep your stupid mask on, so we don't have to listen to that. Please, 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 please. <laughs> we really don't want to listen to that." And, uh, uh, so we'll see how it goes. You know, like I said, I'll, um, by the time September rolls around, I think they would have all the kinks worked out and, you know, I just don't want, I, I'm thinking I don't want to join the league and have to be committed to being there every Sunday night, uh, until, until, uh, you know, maybe September. I, 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 I traditionally, like I said, I traditionally didn't bowl in the summers anyway. And so, um, so what's going on with your swim team? So um, I got noticed that the time, my request to use the facility, which had initially been declined, has been approved. But then when I look at the request, everything's got lines through it. So it's all crossed out. So I have to call today and find out whether or not I have access to the facility. And if I do, then I will set a date and relaunch. So um, I think what I will probably do is set a date where I have everybody come down and register. And then we'll relaunch the following you know, Monday or something, like register on Friday or something like that or on a thursday because uh, uh since it's been a year nobody's registered we got to go through that whole process of registering people back with the so and i think that they might be holding it up i got like i said i need to call um they had made some conversations about uh covid protocols and i they were, i was sent a document that i had to sign and so i think there's some information that they need to get to me so i will um call and ask about that and see what i have to do to get the the covid information well, that's so. exciting. Yeah, so that would be nice if that happens. We'll see. We'll see. To be honest, and hopefully most of your kids as will much come as, back. As much as I really, really want to get it going, I also kind of enjoyed the not having to be out at night and driving back and forth. And you know, it was kind of nice being semi-retired, retired. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I I plan on opening it back up. So yeah, assuming that we get it going, I've had quite a few families reach out to me and say, "Hey, when are we going to do this? We're excited about it." So, um, that's cool. That so John cool. John Cryer is helping in L.A. Uh, an L.A. homeless project with tiny homes. They're uh, they're setting up little tiny homes near some of the parks so that people can have a space to live in. And they basically look like tough sheds with windows. 
So you, oh, and, cool. and, you know, t- some tough sheds. But I mean, it's basically that's what it is. It looks like a little, you know, like ten by ten space or something like that, or eight by ten space, uh, with uh, you know just a little place to live, give you a shelter rather than laying under a tree somewhere. Um, hmm. Nice. Yeah. Nice. I, know, I, know I love that, myself. That, that, Go ahead. that concept has been tried in lots of places around the country. And it's still relatively new, but it looks like a nice yeah. way to get people out of out of being outdoors, as long as there are sufficient restroom facilities. Yeah, that's the issue. It looks like they've set up porta potties in between some of these houses, and they've yeah. also got some fire extinguishers attached to some sides of the houses. The problem is is maintenance of these things, you know. And if the, are the people going to who who are living there going to take care of them? And, and, you know, keep the no. windows from being broken or, or at least report them so that somebody can replace them. Uh, is somebody going to come by regularly and dump the porta-potties? You know, are the fire extinguishers not going to get stolen? You know, is, are the sides of the house is not all going to get graffitied? And, you know, that's the thing. Because if that happens, then you've just created a slum. You know? I mean, it looks beautiful right now because it's just been set up, and I see a row of probably, you know, 20 houses on two sides with picnic tables down the middle between them. And it's like looks like a little miniature house neighborhood, and it looks really nice. I want to see what that looks like in two years. Right. You know? Because that's the issue. So Yeah, public housing always starts out looking nice. It doesn't stay that right. way. Right. Yeah, John Cryer said, I love Los Angeles and found myself really thinking about what day-to-day living must be like for folks on the street. And it occurred to me that the overriding feeling would be one of terror. And I think that's him. I think a lot of the people who, I mean, it may be terror at first, but once they start living out there, I think they kind of get used to it. You you habituate and and get used to things, acclimate pretty quickly. Um, So I think that's probably a misstatement, quite frankly. Um, I know I would be terrified at first, too, but, you know, just not knowing you know, things that go bump in the night, right? Um, as if somehow magically having a wall around me is going to think, think keep keep ill-intended things from happening. It might. Um, but uh, anyway, I mean, I, like I said, I think these tiny homes look great, and I think it's a good idea. My question is, is you know, who's doing the day-to-day care and upkeep? Um, because you can't count on the people who have no vested interest in the space to do that. Always, you know, and some will, but some, but some won't. Well, in Skid Row, Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. I mean, Skid Row has really kind of taken over downtown, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, how big does this village have to be to house everybody? Yeah. Yeah. And where is it located in relationship to that? You know, because there's people that are in that space because that's where they want to be. You know, are they going to migrate to some other space if you make it more appealing? And what, what is more appealing in their perspective i don't know you know i don't know i don't know yeah i don't know it's uh it's interesting we'll see what um you know what comes of it like i said i i would hope that there's a a follow-up done at some point to uh to say you know how successful has this been what do these places look like is this still a place that you would like to live in six months a year two years from now you know, how many of these homes are there? How many of them have been, you know, demolished, burnt, trashed? You know, is there a plan for the upkeep of it? Or are you expecting the people who live there to keep, to take care of it? Again, one can take care of theirs, but the next door neighbor might not. And, you know, what then? 
Yeah. Yeah. Hard to say. It is hard, hard to, to say. say. And, you know, the, there has to be another... Fizzy yeah, widget's so hard different... to say, too. I'm sorry? <laughs> I said fizzy widget's hard to say, too. It is. Fizzy uh -huh. widget. Um, so there's a... Um, there are so many different categories of, of homelessness, right? So is it a family couch surfing? Is it a drug addicted or mentally ill person living on the street and everything in between? Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that that you help the people who want to be helped first. Um, and then then the other one is the other the people who want to be outdoors, the people who can't, you know, who want to not who, who don't want to be taking meds, all of that. Um, that's a completely different issue and requires a different approach. Right. right. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah, when you just say homeless, well, that's the, their current state of being. That's no indication as to why or how they got there. And as you said, there's just a, vi a wide uh, array of, of causes for that state of being. And so um, understanding that and treating them each accordingly is, I think, important because, you know, people who have mental issues who refuse to take medication or don't have any medication that can help them um, are, are have different issues and may or may not make sense. You know, just giving them a house isn't going to solve their problems, you know, giving them a, a, a tiny house. Um, that said, tiny houses are kind of cool. Have you ever watched any of those shows? I have. They are kind of cool. They really yeah. are. You know when I when I built my shack out back studio here, actually I shouldn't say that the shack was here already. The the tool the shed that it was, I just from the inside out basically built a house inside of it or a small room inside of it that I could then put soundproofing and stuff in and you know seal it in better because it was just an aluminum shed. Um, I was thinking about that and the kind of cool things that they did, and I was limited in space in that I had hoped originally I was going to go up more, make it more vertical, and because the roof height was kind of low. Um, but I, uh, found that there are some restrictions on what you can do with, you know, with having sheds on the property. And so I didn't do that. And so, um, so I just used the space that was here and, uh, but I had some ideas about how to do some of those like tiny house kinds of things. Um, cause it's pretty cool how they can, you know, hide, create storage in lots of different places and, and, uh, you know, pop down desks and tables and, and, uh. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very similar to the way some campers are built, but the, some of these tiny houses, they're really inventive in how they take space and make use of it. You get a lot of good ideas. Yes. I don't know that I would, I mean, I'd have to live in a place that was really beautiful outside because really right. your, your, your living space is outside, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, there's, there's space inside. There's usually, they usually have a little couch and and a bed, yeah. you know, a little, a little bit of storage. But the idea is that, you know, your your real living space is wherever you put your tiny house. You know, right. It's, it's yeah, that's what outdoor. a lot of people, yeah. Are, a lot of them are set up, basically, it's a, a patio with a connected sleeping space is kind of what you built, right, <laughs> in a lot of yes. cases. And so I mean, you're, you're taking advantage is, of that, right? Yeah, it's a, a hundred square feet or a couple hundred square feet, whatever it is. Um, right. And so it would have to be in a very pretty place. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, you know, my shack out back, I have a, a beautiful view of another storage shed and an air conditioning compressor unit. Um, <laughs> yes, so, but you don't so live I, in your shack out back. That, well, <laughs> I kind of do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's funny. I thought about that. I said, well, if I needed to, you know, if, if I needed to, I could actually kind of do that. In fact, I thought, you know, 
uh, I was thinking about um, uh, getting, you know, in an emergency or if we had like a power outage, um, getting a generator. Well, I don't have a generator that could run my whole house air conditioner and stuff. I'm not going to get anything that big or that strong. I'm not wiring it in. That's just way too much expense. But if I got a smaller generator, I could set it up so it could run the air conditioner in my shack out back. And my shack out back is small, so it can air condition this space. So in the middle of the summer, I could have a cool place to sleep. I just have to kind of set it up on the floor. You know, I'd have to kind of create a, uh, bring in some, you know, a foam padding or something like that, or my sleeping bag and uh, and lay in here. But I could make it cool. Got an air conditioner that runs, and, and it's small enough space that I could have, you know, television and, and, and cooling, and I've got a little refrigerator. I, you know, I could bring a hot plate in if I wanted to cook. I mean, you know, I could do all kinds of stuff out of this space if power was out. Uh, but uh, could you fit luckily, your wife? We, yeah, well, she she's small. We could make it. We could she make is it work. Small. <laughs> we could make it work. She might not be happy, but she'd probably prefer to sleep in 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 an air conditioned uh, shack out back than a non air conditioned house if the power was out for a you know in the middle of July. Um, you yes, know. I, I am. Of course, not ready of course. Then she'd her. take over the television set, and I'd have to watch uh, uh, Hallmark, Hallmark Channel, which. I don't think Hallmark works on the television out here. I don't think we can do that. (laughs) Yes, I think I blocked Hallmark. Yeah, somehow I never got it set up. I tried and it didn't work or something like that. I don't remember. It doesn't work out here. I'm sorry. (laughs) Wink, 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 wink. So I know we've been talking about opening up and how things are starting to get better, but there's some pro- some, some concerning things happening in Brazil. Um, the uh, So far this month, according to government data, uh, 2,030 Brazilians aged 30 to 39 have died from COVID. So it's now the strain that they have down there seems to be attacking younger people, or they're not necessarily saying it's even necessarily the strain. They're not quite sure why. Um, but almost 2,000 people in the age 20 to 29 uh, uh, have, have gone up. Um, so, uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm misreading. Although that, that. Doesn't, that, was, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. And I say this because, um, yeah. at the, where I work when I'm not on the air, um, uh-huh. we have lots of people in there. Lots of our, I mean, a, a high percentage of our employees are in their twenties and all of them got COVID all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're talking about not only COVID, but COVID deaths, too, which, you know, historically what we've said, historically, meaning in the past year, what we've been saying or what we've been seeing is is that, yeah, younger people will get it, but they seem to have mild cases and very seldom do they die from it. And now Brazil is seeing uh, increases, uh, you know, sometimes doubling the number of deaths in younger age groups. And so so what, what led one person to say that apparently a, a risk factor is being Brazilian. Um <laughs> So they're trying to figure out what the issue is and why are they seeing such increases in younger people in Brazil. And, I, you know, they, they, there is a Brazilian strain that kind of came from there. So they're checking to see if that has, they're trying to study and see if that, that has, you know, morphed into yet a different variety of COVID that seems to attack younger people. Or if there's some other issue that they're just not aware of um, that they haven't been able to spot yet. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they said that there's... Uh, two different variants that are sort of unique to Brazil that they're trying to figure out, you know, isolate or at least do studies. Um, so the other thing they said is, is that the, uh, the vaccines are very limited there. And so the, um, they're, they're vaccinating the elderly and, and the infirm. And, and so the younger 
people in their 20s and 30s and 40s haven't been getting vaccines. And so um, uh, they're concerned about that. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know. One of those interesting things, you know, we're, we're continuing to hear things about people who have it, had a mild case, got over it, but then they're continuing to have issues sometimes months after the fact um, that stemmed from that, even though they're technically over the disease itself. There's been some long-term issues for some people, too. This has been just such a weird disease because it's got so many different weird, um, unusual uh, manifestations. Todd, I'm just not convinced that it wasn't created in a lab. I'm just not. Yeah. The way it's the way I, it's reacting and, the, and and all of these varied uh, um, issues with it kind of makes you think about that then, doesn't it? Because it sounds yeah, almost it really weaponized does. because it's like, oh, you think you got it here, but then it's going to get you here and then it's going to get you here. And it's like and you begin to wonder. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's um, I, I'm just not convinced. Yeah. I was China's certainly not going to tell us the truth. Yeah. I wonder if there are, um, this would be a, a, an interesting uh, study, and I don't know, I'm sure somebody has done it, is looked at the statistics across different um, uh, racial profiles. So are there certain ethnicities that it seems to be more vir vir <clears throat> virulent? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Boy, I got a, a catch in my throat there. Um, you know, are there certain... Uh, like Brazilians, you know, they say, well, you know, apparently a, a an issue is being Brazilian. Um, are there, you know, certain ethnicities that are more likely to have bad cases of it than others? And if you having Chinese heritage means that you're less likely to have it, that then would also then put a question mark about, well, did the Chinese create this and intentionally make so make it so that it was less likely to attack people who had, you know, certain genes that were hereditary through through Chinese people, you know, I mean, and, and I'm not saying that's the case at all. I'm just curious if anybody's even looked at that. Um, because, you know, if you believe the numbers coming out of China, which I don't, they had no problem. It was, you know, a couple thousand people and everything's fine out of their billions of people. Yes. Yeah. I think that's horse hockey. Yeah. Um, like you said. Yeah. But if it was even, even slightly close to true, then you'd be saying, well, how come it hit you so lightly and it hit everybody else so badly? Hmm? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, if that was the case, sounds like a science fiction novel and novel and this was the first shot across the bow in a in a biological war. Right? And we didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a year into it, we don't even know that we've been attacked. Um, or at least if we do, they're keeping it real hush hush. You know, yeah, and the, I, as I'm as I'm processing what you're talking about, yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not convinced that they would tell us the truth because of what that would mean, um, right? You know that, uh, you know, are we ready for that kind of news? And I I don't know that we are. Right. Yeah. You know, you could see that kind of thing being understood by, uh, you know, the military looking at that and saying, you know, because they've got they've thought about. You know, every kind of war that we could fight, including a biological war. And, you know, they could, you could see the decision being made at the highest echelons of, OK, we're we're, we're not going to say this, you know. So. Yeah, 
I don't know. You know, and of course, I'm I'm everything I'm talking about is supposition. It's fiction. It's you know, it may or may not be reality, but it's it, I certainly have nothing on which to base this on. I'm just saying, you yeah, know, hey, what either. if? I'm just saying, hey, what if? Um, uh, you know, and I don't even know if such thing. I mean, I I don't know enough about uh, you know viruses and 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 virology to say is such a thing even possible. You know, can you? identify something that is genetically in a group of people and say, I'm going to make sure that this thing attacks that and not this other group of people who don't have that, you know, can, can you target things like that? I don't know. I don't know if that capability exists. I know it does in science fiction, but you know, in science fiction, we can do lots of things like, you know, fly spaceships and, and talk to Wookiees. So. <laughs> and Wookiees exist. Yeah. Well, there's that too. I mean, she's... so we yeah. are out of time, Todd. We are. Been a fun morning. Enjoy the wonderful weather, everybody. Um, springtime is here. Um, nice warm days and cool evenings. So um, we'll be back tomorrow. I'm Todd Brinker. Thanks for joining us. I'm Aaron Brinker. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you.